What is up, podcast fam? Welcome back to the Energy Exchange Podcast, where I am committed to creating a community filled with more movement, more gratitude, and more joy. So thank you so much for tuning in in today's show. Now, I do have one request. As you're listening to the show, I don't want you to just let the information go in one ear and out the other. I want you to do your best to apply this information, this knowledge, this wisdom into your life. So please make the most of this time. I appreciate you so much. And one last request is if this show resonates with you, if you gain some sort of value from this episode, please, please, please leave a review in the iTunes store. It makes such a huge impact in this mission to reach more people and inspire more people and empower more people. I love you so much. Thank you in advance. I appreciate you. And I can't wait for you to dive in today's show. Let's get it. What is up, everybody? Welcome back to the Energy Exchange Podcast. And ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, I am so excited for today's guest. This dude is one of, he's actually not one of, he is my favorite creator on TikTok. That's how I connected with him. And I'm so grateful for the message he is putting out in the world. And Max Whittington Cooper is an actor, writer, Harvard alum, and former venture capitalist who's on a mission to spread empathy and positivity through his work. Max has built an audience of over 600,000 on TikTok in only a month. And he has multiple videos with over 5 million views. And here's the thing. He is just getting started Max, my dude, welcome to the show. What's up, Jeremy? How are you, man? My brother, I am excellent. I'm super, super energized and enthusiastic for this conversation. Likewise. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, brother. We're making this happen. And, you know, just going a little deeper into that, came across your content uh, on TikTok a couple of weeks ago. And I just love the message you were putting out. Super simple, super direct and also giving people tools to take ownership of their life. So just let's get started on that point. What got you inspired to get on TikTok to share these messages? And did you have any sort of expectation that you would have the type of success that you've had? Well, first off, I never could have fathomed the response to Max and Facts and my videos. Um, it really has blown me away. And truly inspired me even um, and motivated me to create even more. But um, it really sort of, I think, was born out of my mission to spread positivity and empathy, which dates back to my upbringing, my childhood. I grew up never fitting in. Um, I was overweight. I was black, navigating predominantly white spaces most of the time. And then when I was navigating predominantly black spaces, you know, wasn't necessarily quote unquote black enough. Um, and I was an artist. I was a very creative kid. So never, none of those experiences really lent themselves to normalcy or fitting in. Um, and so as a result, I was constantly experiencing people, I think, putting me in a box as other. And every time I experienced that, I would say to myself, I don't want anyone else to have to experience this. I'm going to make a mission to make other people feel included. Really, it comes down to inclusiveness, you know? Um, and so fast forward to quarantine 2020, of course I was bored like everyone else. And I actually had another TikTok account that I had started at the end of last year where I was doing the typical stuff like trends, dances, et cetera, very silly stuff. Um, but I sat back and I was like, what does the world need right now? There's so much turmoil, whether you're talking about COVID-19 or the divisiveness in the United States, um, the racial tension, um, what do people need? How can I help? What tools do I have that people could learn from and grow from? Um, and I started Max and Facts. And I literally said to myself, I was like, if this can help one person treat themselves better and as a result, treat other people better, I'm happy. I'm content. Um, so I started the account and I never could have fathomed that it would help 
over 600,000 people. That really just blows my mind to say. <laughs> yeah, brother. Super excited. And I know you mentioned empathy is a big part of your core values. And you also mentioned in our previous conversation that Gary Vee was a big inspiration for you to get started on TikTok, right? Absolutely. Yeah. I came across a quote of his. It was a video, actually, where he was talking about TikTok and the opportunity that really is on the platform. And I think he said something along the lines of, if you get on TikTok now, it's like purchasing New York City real estate in the 1800s. And that piqued my interest. That was like the venture capitalist coming at me. And I was like, okay, hold on. There's opportunity here. Let me hop on the platform. Um, And so that was sort of my initial inspiration to get onto the platform. And then around the time I was thinking about Maths and Facts, I came across another video of his where, or I think she was a tweet. And he said something along the lines of, stop creating content that you think people want and create content that you want to be known for. Mm. Um, and that to me really spoke to me. And I was like, okay, you know, I love all the content on TikTok. But to me, I knew that the silly stuff that I was making on my like personal account wasn't what I wanted to be known for. It definitely didn't speak to, like you were saying, my core values or sort of, I guess, the content that I aspire to put out in the world, you know? Um, and so Gary Vee definitely was uh, a big part of my TikTok venture. Hell yeah, brother. It's been beautiful to watch too, just to see, you know, the a lot of that following go to your Instagram too. And, and I'm curious to know what doors other than coming on unbelievable podcasts, what other doors and opportunities have opened up for you in the last month? Yeah, um, a ton, surprisingly. Um, A lot of new business ventures that I unfortunately can't go into detail yet, but I'm really excited about um, and putting a lot of time and energy into um, that I think my followers and you honestly, me and my friends will just all be excited about. Um, And partnerships, that's been huge. Like, through Instagram and TikTok, I think the digital community has really opened up, at least for me. And I've been making friendships and bonds and um, plans to collaborate on different types of content with different creators. And that has been such a huge blessing. Yes, brother. I love it. And and I appreciate you being open to those possibilities because there's just going to be more and more that are rolling through. And I think people can see and sense your authenticity, your, your genuine nature through your content, through your messages, which, which takes me to your career, your livelihood as an actor. And, oh. and, and I'm wondering like how that transition is, right? Because you're so used to being authentic, staying in your lane, and then all of a sudden you're putting on a facade as someone else. Mm. And we were talking earlier, I feel like so many people right now in in this human experience are putting on a facade to impress others or for external validation. And they're having trouble really tapping in to their core values. What Mm. is authentic to them? What, What brings them joy? What are they curious about? So I guess my question, first of all, is... Tell us a little bit about your acting career and and how you first got into that. And then the second part of that question is, how can people start tapping more into their authentic self? Mm, Great questions. Great questions. Um, So my acting career, I started acting when I was, well, really, so if we really want to go back, I got into just acting and writing in general when I was in like elementary school because my parents sent me to a school that like prioritized the arts. Like every morning we had to memorize songs and sing for literally a full hour in our meeting hall. Like it was a whole thing. Um, So we studied Shakespeare as kids. So I think that was sort of just my intro into it. Um, And at least for me, that's what showed me, okay, I love the arts. Like I love creating. And then Fast forward to when I was about like 13, that's when I actually started studying acting at my school. I went to another school, but they also, funny enough, value the arts a lot. Um, And that's when I started acting. So I really acted in like my first, I guess, on-set production when I was 14. Um, It was a very small bit role. It was like one scene. But I think from then on, I was like, I love this. Um, However, growing up, my parents worked in the music industry. And they would always tell me, my sister, you can do whatever you want in life but you cannot go into entertainment. That's the one industry that's off limits. <laughs> and so for me growing up, it always, I think in the back of my head was there. I can't do this professionally. 
You know, I need mm. to look for something else. Um, and I always did, you know, I was like, okay, is there any other job that I really love? And nothing spoke to me as much as entertainment. It just, I think honestly, it was in my genes because of them. So if we blame it on anyone, we blame it on them. Um, but I went to college, I studied sociology and got a secondary in acting. Um, and then my senior year is when I signed my contract to work at a venture capital firm in the fall. And then my senior spring, I was like, look, if I go to work on Wall Street and never act again, never sing again, I want to do something now that's sort of like my swan song. And I performed in In the Heights at the Oberon Theater, and there was an agent there from UTA. And after the show, he just so happened to be there because his sister was in the show. And he said, we need to talk. And that kind of set off, I think, the professional acting route for me. My parents also came to see that show and um, there was something magical about it because I also got their blessing from that show. They were like, look, we see you got it. We see you love this. If you really want to pursue it, you have our blessing, our green light. Um, and that to me, I think was sort of the fire that lit off and I was like, okay, I'm just going to go full steam ahead. So I literally left school for like a week. Um, it was our senior week. So people were just partying. Um, there's <laughs> Harvard parties. parties. Ooh, what are, with, what are Harvard parties oh like? God. Hold up a second. What are those Harvard parties like? They're actually a lot more fun than you would expect. (laughs) I bet they are, bro. They are. They are. I feel like Harvard kids definitely take the work hard, play hard mentality. You know what I mean? Like we go hard in the library, but like when it's time to actually celebrate, we fully celebrate. Um, So I was sad to miss out on them. Like they're fun. They're actually really fun. You should experience them at some point. Um, But yeah, I skipped most of my senior week to meet with agents and Thank God I ended up signing with um, Abrams Artists. My, I love my agents, Jamie Pillett and Victoria Cress. And I've been with them now. Um, yeah, I've been with them since senior year. Um, so that was an amazing experience. And I've done some amazing projects with them. Um, Mrs. Fletcher on HBO, When They See Us on Netflix, which was a dream project for me. Because they got to work with Ava DuVernay, so many incredible actors, John Leguizamo. Um, and it was a, kind of a... Wait, hold up. Sorry. I, I, I don't, I want to, uh, John, look, is he from the pest, the movie, the pest? Yeah. He's, he's in everything, like literally everything. He he's was like in, the shorter Latino guy. Yes. Yes. Okay. I love that dude. <laughs> he's incredible. And so talented. Like I learned so much within the short amount of time we were acting together on set. He's an amazing. I didn't mean to interrupt you. Continue. Oh, no worries. Um, so yeah, I got to work with him on when they see us. Um, the photograph with Stella Meggie and we got to go down to New Orleans, which is amazing. Um, so a, a lot of great projects that um, really kind of span a wide range of genres and different types of characters. Um, and it's been the biggest blessing, but 2020 hit and I haven't really shot anything this year, <laughs> which has been kind of tragic, but um, I feel like TikTok is a silver lining. You know, I'm still creating, which is, what a Amazing. blessing, brother. Like, what a blessing. And I feel like that's just going to continue to raise the awareness of Max and your powerful story and your message. And, and I literally got goosebumps when you were describing that, that story of your parents giving you their blessing, like moving forward with acting, if that's what you chose to do. Is, is, was there hesitation before because they were so close in the industry? So they saw a lot of the shady things that went on behind the scenes. Is that really why they had resistance at first? Yeah, a thousand percent. My parents really were working in the music industry, I would say more so in the nineties. So that big hip hop era where it was almost like anything goes, you know, like it was really was sort of like the wild, wild west. And I think they saw a lot of the negative sides of the industry and thought, if we can give our kids an amazing education and give them the opportunities to, to pursue any career that they want to, why would we push them in that direction or why would we let them fall into that, not a trap, but fall into a space where there's just a lot of, a a lot of road bumps. Um, And I don't blame them. Like I probably would do the same. I probably will do the same thing with my kids. You know what I mean? Like entertainment is tough. Um, Music and film are are different, but it's just the industry as a whole is very difficult. Um, So I don't blame them at all. But I think, it always comes down to what you're really passionate about. And I think if you're really passionate about something, you will win in it. 
I love that, bro. For anyone listening and watching right now who is like, that's cool, Max. Like, follow your passions, follow your dreams. It sounds so easy. It sounds so good. Do you have any maybe practical tips or questions or small actionable steps people can take to really getting closer to identifying those passions and then start pursuing them? Honestly, just try things. I think we're always really afraid to try something because we think, oh, I'm going to be judged or I'm going to be bad at it or I'm going to make myself look stupid. And yeah, that'll happen. That's happened to me so many times. But if you don't try it, you're not going to know if you like it. You're not going to know if you're passionate about it and you're not going to know if you can succeed in it. Um, so my biggest t- actionable tip is to literally just try it. Take those baby steps towards something that you might even think you're interested in um, and it can make all the difference. I love that, homie. I think, I think experimentation and curiosity is so important. And hopefully people are using this time to just try new things like you did and look at what happened. You didn't have any expectation that things would blow up the way they did. And as long as you, again, stay consistent and keep putting stuff out, uh, you never know the possibilities that'll come up. Uh, Max, I wanted, before we, before we move on, I wanted to just dive into a couple of these videos that went super viral for you on TikTok. Um, the one about three tips to read people's minds. Mm. Okay. Yeah. You talked about mirroring. You talked about a couple other concepts. Just curious, is that stuff uh, that you learned in sociology at Harvard or are these things that you've kind of studied away from that, uh, on your own? It's a combination actually. So, uh, sociology definitely informs a lot of my content, um, because it really is a study of people. And I sort of stumbled into my concentration. We call it concentrations, but it's same thing as a major, um, because I initially declared government and government in economics are sort of like the go-tos at Harvard. Like if you don't really know what you want to do, like you can declare those and like, no, you'll be safe. Like you'll get a job. You'll be good. And Harvard makes you also declare when you declare your major, every single class that you're going to take for the consecutive three and a half years. And I was filling out that form and I was like, I'm not excited about a single one of these classes. So I'm like three and a half years of classes that I'm not that interested in. Like that's a problem. So I went back to the drawing board and I honestly had a little panic moment because I was like, I don't see any majors that are like speaking to me. And so I kind of worked from the back, from backwards because I was like, okay, what classes do I like? Instead of looking at like the list of majors, I was like, what classes did I really enjoy? And I kept coming back to sociology. Um, And as I started to really dissect it, I was like, wait, no matter what I personally do in life, I know I'm going to, I'm going to have to deal with people. Like that's really where my calling is. I'm not the dude that's going to be like crunching numbers in the room. I have friends who love that. Like that is their thing. They kill it. I love it. I'm like always mesmerized by their ingenuity, but that's not me. And so I was like, wait, this concentration makes sense. So a lot of it does come from sociology, but also as an actor, it's our jobs to study people, to understand people, Mm. why we do certain things. Why do we mirror? What does that indicate about how we're feeling or what we've experienced? Um, and so I actually try to incorporate a lot of psychology when I'm prepping for a role, prepping for an audition. Um, and so that's where a lot of that comes from. Um, I do not, a lot of people always ask me, they're like, are you always analyzing people when you're talking to them? I'm like, no, I can't do that. You can't really engage in a conversation and also like analyze, you know? Right, it's just, right, right, right. But if you're, if you're at, if you're at like a group gathering, or yeah. a party, I'm sure like there's times and I do the same thing where you're kind of just like observing the energy, observing oh. the interactions. Oh yeah. Big time. Especially if like you go into it, like you might have a boy, he's like, okay, I'm interested in this girl. It's like, okay, you just are already hyper aware. It's like, okay, how's she acting towards him? Like, is this about to go the right way? Like what's going on? Um, so yeah, it definitely, I guess comes in handy, but it's harder for me to use on like a one-on-one basis. It's almost impossible, honestly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you're so present in those conversations and interactions, which is, which is nice. So, so okay, that, that gives us a little background. Dude, that's kind of crazy that Harvard makes you choose all of those classes for the rest of your time there. Yeah, I think, though, it's for the reason, like, what happened to me. They want you to, like, realize, okay, wait, this is not the right space for me, you know? 
I think they want you to have that realization. So if that realization takes place six months, 12 months down the road, or is it easy to kind of get out of that track? It depends on what track you're on. So if you're like pre-med or actually, no, rather if you're say like you, you declare sociology, but then you want to be pre-med, then it's tough because it's like you have to play catch up and get all these extra requirements and you've kind of wasted credits going towards a different major or concentration. Um, but I've definitely seen it done. Like there are definitely people that do it and there are some concentrations that have less requirements. So you can get around it, but um, it, it's harder the more time goes by. Mm, I love yeah. that. And, and uh, okay, last, last video I wanna, I wanna get analyzed from you. The visual learner. I definitely feel like I am one. Uh, I know, so there's a visual learner, auditory learner, and what other types? Kinesthetic learner. Kinesthetic. That's like by through movement, through body awareness? Yes, exactly. So would that be more of, those would be like athletes, right? A thousand percent. Yeah. Okay, cool. So, so which one of those, uh, which one of those do you feel like you embody the most? And could you give like a simple breakdown of each, like very short breakdown? Yeah, Absolutely. Um, so visual learner is someone who learns mostly through images. They prefer to see things. Um, and in the video, I actually give an example, like if you're getting directions, you would rather look at the map on ways or look at Google maps or look at a physical map rather than talk to someone and they'll tell you make a left at this street and a right at whatever street like that would just confuse you too much. Um, an auditory learner is someone who learns more so through sound, um, and through hearing. So with same example, they would actually rather hear these directions than see them. Um, and finally with the kinesthetic learner, that's someone who learns through movement, through doing things. Um, and the example I use in the video is if you're in school, say studying science and someone says you can read a chapter on gravity or you can do an experiment with the ball and learn about gravity. The kinesthetic learner wants to learn with the ball. They want to be hands-on and that's really how they, they learn. Um, and truthfully, we all learn through the different types of learning styles. Like you just, you almost have to as a human being, but there, I think we are prone to um, prefer one over the other. Um, mm. And that's what I learned actually through, I was, I've been reading this book called NLP, um, which is another psychological study. Neuro-linguistic um, programming? Yes, exactly. Yes. Amazing, dude. I'm about to do a certification for that very soon. No way. Yes. I mean, amazing. Oh my God. I'm going to have to learn like so much from you now. Cause I Let's love it. Go. <laughs> That's epic. But yeah, so I've been learning even more so about the learning styles through that, which is what helped to inspire the video. Um, but personally, you know, it's funny. I actually gravitate towards auditory learning. I mm. love auditory learning. Even with like memorizing lines for me, I prefer hearing them than seeing them. Interesting. So you, I'm assuming that means like you like audiobooks, podcasts. Yeah, audiobooks, podcasts, uh, music. Um, it's uh, something about it. And the thing is, I learned obviously, like I was saying, through all the different types, but I find when I learn through hearing something, it just sticks with me. Mm. Yeah. That's powerful. I feel like for me, it's tough because I like, I think the beauty of podcasts and audiobooks is that we live in a, in a society that loves multitasking, right? It's like you can listen to a podcast when you're washing the dishes, when you're running, when you're driving, when you're, you name it, right? For me, I've realized that the best way that I process information and actually absorb it is like, I need a highlighter. I need a highlight that. What happens is like you're driving, you're trying to take notes and then it just becomes a dangerous situation. And I'm like, yeah, I don't know. I totally feel that. I totally feel that. Even with me, like, yeah, like visual to me, I would say I like lines again. Like I do need to highlight my stuff. If I'm going through a script, the highlighter is my savior, honestly. It, it's because mm. my eye will get distracted by so many different things, you know? Um, and that highlighter will, I think, Allow me to stay focused. I love it, brother. And another question for you, because again, I think it's important to talk about these things. You know, for me, I built a presence on different mediums, right? Instagram, TikTok, LinkedIn, the podcast. So it's very easy to 
it's very easy to get inundated with all of these notifications, all of these people reaching out, sending messages, you know, looking to connect, whatever it might be. So I'm wondering with especially this last month and all the growth that's taken place, uh, what practices have you instilled or have you gone all in on to preserve your personal time, your peace of mind, so you're not constantly in react mode? Um, Are there a couple that have been really critical for you during this time? Yeah, to be honest with you, I'm still navigating it. Like I'm still trying to find that rhythm of balance because when the video started taking off, like right when they started taking off, I was like responding to every comment and it was sort of normal and easy for me to like do that. But now that there's more than 600,000 followers, it's really difficult to do that. Um, And if I did do that, it would literally take all day. Um, So I think at least for me, it has been sort of just setting boundaries saying, okay, this half hour, I'm going to dedicate to comments. This half hour, I'm going to dedicate to content creation or content ideation, whatever it is, really being meticulous in scheduling my time. Um, That's been really helpful because before when I was making the videos, I would just be like, oh, this would be a dope one. Let me go outside and like film this or whatever. Now I can't do that as much just because there's so much more going on. Like you were saying, it's like, okay, no, I got to meet about this business venture. I got to answer these comments. I got to also learn these lines for class or for an audition, whatever it is. Um, There's a lot more going on. So budgeting my time has been really helpful. I love that. I love that. And, And I love that you also mentioned like experimenting, you know, similar to how you said, how you, how you get more familiar with your passion, you try things. What up fam? Sorry to interrupt today's show, but I am so excited. This podcast, the energy exchange podcast is something that I have put my blood, sweat, and tears into. And honestly, the best way that you can show your gratitude for me and this show is by leaving an honest review in the iTunes store. It would genuinely mean the world to hear your feedback and to support this mission. Word of mouth is my oxygen. Thank you so much, fam. I appreciate you. I love you. Let's get back to the show. Now, what is what do the first 60 minutes of Max's day look like? What does that morning routine look like? Um, that's a good question. Well, I'm not a morning person. I'll say that. So I try to get as much sleep as possible. And as soon as I wake up, I'll brush my teeth, wash my face, do my whole bathroom routine. And then as soon as I do that, I'll change and I meditate for 10 minutes. And that's been really helpful because that helps set the tone for the day. Um, It really allows me to, I think, focus in on my intention for the day, what I want to accomplish. And really, it also helps set this tone. It sets a tone of um, perseverance and commitment because it's hard. Like me sitting (laughs) still and silent and not trying to harp on any thoughts for a good 10 minutes is very difficult for me. So once I finish that, I'm like, I can do anything. I can persevere in anything. That workout, that meeting, that really difficult scene, whatever it is. Um, so I, that meditation is really important for me in the morning. Um, and then after I meditate, I'll actually go on Duolingo and like learn Spanish and French. I speak Spanish fluently, but I'm trying to learn French. So I try to use both. Hey, podemos yeah. hablar español el, pro, el yeah. próximo vez? <laughs> hey, let's go. Yeah, so I do that. Um, and then what do I do after that? I do like some, have you ever used the app Elevate? I haven't. I use that app for a little bit. It's like a brain teaser application. Mm. Um, and then after that, I'll, I'll work out. That's usually like my morning, my typical morning. Beautiful. Are you doing all of that pretty much fasted? Before you do yeah, all that before you eat? I do it all fasted. Yeah. I love fasting in the morning and I love all, all, having like that fasted workout too. It just, I have more energy somehow. For sure. And you're burning straight fat and that's going to just fuel your cognition and focus for the rest of the day. Are you using an app for meditation? Um, I don't actually, I, I've been looking to get on to an app. My friends like rave about calm. I don't know if you've used it. Um, but right now I've just been using like YouTube videos, um, which I know is not the most regimented thing, but it helps me. (laughs) I love that. So I think it's so important to like, to understand, I don't know if you've studied any Joe Dispenza's work. No. 
he's he's an incredible neuroscientist. Um, just look into some of his work. You'll you'll definitely feel aligned, and it'll probably provide some good pieces of content for you moving forward. But but when you understand too, like there's no such thing as a bad meditation. Mm-hmm. There's there's always going to be things that come up, right? And rather than suppress those things, you know, I think what's beautiful about meditation is just like acknowledging them. And I compare it to like a pimple, right? You see that pimple, you acknowledge it's there and then you just pop it. And, yeah. and I know some dermatologists will disagree with me, but sometimes just popping that pimple, popping that thought, acknowledging it and letting it go, right? Um, can, can be so powerful, especially to start your day. Uh, and, and I'm wondering, you know, because we have over 60,000 thoughts a day, and most of those thoughts are the same exact thoughts we had the previous day, are there any thoughts that come up for you repeatedly that maybe aren't serving you, that uh, are holding you back in some capacity? Mm, yeah, that's a great question. Um, you know, it's funny, I actually referenced this in a video I posted yesterday, but I think the thought of I'm not doing enough comes up for me a lot. I think it's always come up for me a lot. Like since I was in high school, maybe even middle school, um, I'm not doing enough. I need to do more. Um, and I feel like in this age of social media, that thought has just increased for me. And I'm sure for so many other people, because you're looking at other people and you're comparing, you know, you're saying, okay, like this person has a Rolls Royce at 18. Like I don't even have a car, you know, or I don't even have an apartment, whatever it is. Um, so it's, it's easy to have that thought. Um, and what I discussed in the video yesterday, funny enough, I was saying how we just need to stop comparing so much. We're doing very different things oftentimes. And it doesn't mean one is better than the other. It's just, we're on different tracks because we all have different gifts to give to the world. We all have uh, a different destiny, if that's what you believe in. But I, I really truly think if we focus more so on celebrating our gifts and celebrating the gifts of others, um, that thought will die down a little bit. And I even, I, I struggle with it. Like some days I'll be like, okay, I'm not doing enough, but I try to come back to that concept of, okay, wait, let me not compare. Let me focus more so on what I bring to the table and what I can offer. Um, Mm. That usually helps me not dwell on that idea. Dude, I definitely can a hundred percent relate to that. And it's, 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 especially, I feel like it's probably similar for you. It's like, I enjoy the ideation and creation process, the storytelling. So you know, like when I'm visiting, when I'm visiting my family or, I'm, or like a friend's in town, they're like, so are you done, done with your work for the day? I'm like, like, it's never really going to be done. Like never, there's, never. there's always, there's always, you know, like, again, we hopped on this call like 30 minutes, 30 minutes later. And I was like, Hmm, should I take like a 20 minute, just like nap or, or breathing. And I was like, no, I'm going to try to squeeze some more stuff in. Right. <laughs> it's just yeah. the way that I feel like I'm programmed and I understand that's a gift, but at some points it, it probably has diminishing returns. Absolutely. No, I always think about that. It's like, it, it is a gift because it, it gives you this drive and ambition to always create, always keep working. But at the same time, like you don't want to work yourself into the ground. Mm, exactly, brother. And I think that's why you see a lot of people, a lot of creators too, getting burnt out. But I'd love to ask those people, like, is the stuff you're creating true to yourself? Because I feel like everything I put out is stuff I'm so passionate about and I believe in so strongly and it almost energizes me. Yeah. You know, and, I, and I'm sure you can relate to that feeling as well. Um. Okay, Max, going back, going back, uh, going back to Harvard, you graduated when? 2017? 2017. Yeah. 2017. So talk, talk to us a little bit about that experience, you know, coming in as an 18 year old. Also, just, I want to know, you know, that Ivy League experience, obviously Harvard's probably, I mean, if not the most respected school in the US, if not the world. So what was that experience like? Like, did you, what, what were the biggest challenges that you were faced with when you were there? And, and also 
do you feel like some part of college and, and, and schools like Harvard are maybe put on a pedestal uh, unnecessarily? Meaning, like, if you graduate from Harvard, you are almost like this godlike person. But when it comes down to it, I feel like my experience, I went to University of Oregon, like there's people I know who went to junior colleges who applied themselves and had a ton of success. And then there's probably a lot of trust fund babies that you met at Harvard who just were born into a lot of wealth, born into a lot of royalty. And maybe they had that level of entitlement, you know, going in. So long-winded question, I know. Um, but tell us a little bit about those experiences. Yeah, all great questions. Um, so yeah, going into Harvard when I was 18, I really didn't know what to expect, to be honest with you. Um, it definitely was, as cliche as it sounds, a lifelong dream. It was something that I really was striving towards since I was pretty young, um, because I think my parents always instilled the value of education. And growing up, they would always tell me, education is the one thing no one can ever take from you. And ever since they said that to me, I was like, okay, I'm going to make sure that I get my education then um, by any means. And when I arrived to campus, I, I, was, I was met by so many amazing people, um, people who were incredible science brains, people who were uh, amazing philanthropists. And this is all at the age of 18. Um, so it's intimidating and it's very competitive, but at the same time, I learned so much from these people and I grew so much from these experiences. And I would say my overall Harvard experience was incredible. Um, nonetheless, it's always difficult being a black person and navigating a predominantly white institution always, um, because you are going to come up against overt racism. You're going to come up against ignorant people. Um, you're going to come up against microaggressions which are really difficult to sometimes unpack and to make people aware of, um, because sometimes people don't even aware, aren't even aware that they're doing something that's wrong or offensive in those instances. Mm. Um, and I definitely experienced that um, so many times. I'll never forget, I was talking to a kid who's actually older than me, and I don't even know how, oh, we were talking about presidents. And we started, of course, going down the, the political party lines, and he was saying that he's a massive Trump supporter. And I was like, okay, you know, we can unpack that a little bit and understand why, you know, where you're coming from. Um, and so he started going into his explanation and he ended up coming, I don't even know how he got to the topic, but he started to get onto the topic of police brutality and Black Lives Matter. And he basically said that it's a red herring and that it's police brutality against Black people is not a problem in this country. And that's when I was like, okay, we are about to have a two hour <laughs> conversation because you're just wrong. Like factually you are wrong. You know, I don't, I never really have a problem with a difference of opinion, love hearing other people's opinions, but when you really start to misconstrue facts, it's a problem. Um, and we got to the scenario where I said, well, look, say I am in Harvard square committing crimes and you're in Harvard square committing crimes. Do you think we, we would be treated equally by the justice system and by the police force in Harvard Square? And he said, absolutely. And I said, that's just not true. And it's those types of scenarios that I think were really difficult to navigate at Harvard, you know, because you're talking to someone who's very intelligent. You know, I'm not saying that this person is not intelligent, but that level of ignorance is very difficult to come up against day after day, time mm. after time. Um, and I feel like I don't speak for all black people, of course, but I feel like a lot of black people who are navigating white spaces would say that they experience that same level of ignorance um, that they have to fight every day. Mm. Did that happen uh, recently without, or that, that was at your time while you were a student? That was a couple years ago. So it might've been like the year I was graduating or maybe the year after, um, but it was pretty recent. Two, that would have been two years ago, uh, at least two or three years ago. Yeah. Um, so it was, uh, and we were funny enough, we were around all Harvard people. So it wasn't even like we were in some sort of different setting. Like I was around all my classmates and then this older kid and, and a bunch of friends from his class. Um, so 
everyone was well-informed or should have been <laughs> who was participating in the conversation. And I feel like Harvard, it's such a bubble. And so many of the people that are there come from environments that are very constricted and they're, they're in such a different space where they probably lack all of that diversity and differences of opinions and thoughts like that. So getting into Black Lives Matter and talking about what's going on now and how to best navigate that space, you know, with someone like me, you know, uh, you know, a, a white Jewish kid from the suburbs, uh, what do you think the best, most valuable thing people in my position can do to really improve the situation right now? Education, educate yourselves, understand what's happening in this country, why it's happening, the history. Um, we have experienced so much erasure of black culture and history in our textbooks and in our classrooms in this country. Um, and it's time that it stopped. Like people really need to understand that this country really was built on a foundation of racist mechanisms and institutions. Um, and it's, that is why we're seeing the turmoil we're seeing today because it's, mm. it's eating into every facet of our lives from social life to politics, to economics. Um, and I think people who are not a part of the black experience, um, I think one of the best things you can do is educate yourselves, read, um, reach out to your friends. I mean, it is a burden. Like, you know, if your friend says, look, I'm <laughs> exhausted or I'm tapped out, please listen to that. Um, but if your friend is there and willing to talk to you, like, listen to them, listen to their experiences and, and what they have to say. Um, I think that's probably one of the best ways to, to help. And also tap into your own talents. Something I was talking about, again, funny enough, with my black class from Harvard about maybe a month and a half ago, was that there are so many different ways to help. Obviously, protesting in the streets is vital and we need it. And if that is what you're talented at, we love you for it. But say you have an underlying condition and you can't be out in the streets because of COVID-19. There's so many other ways. You can use your voice on social media. Um, if you're an artist, you can use your artistry to help spread the word. You can write something, whatever it is. But I think we get caught up, especially through the media, with the concept of if I can't take to the streets, I can't contribute. And that's mm. not good. There's so many ways to help the Black Lives Matter cause. Um, and so I think if you just take... Uh, take stock of what you can bring to the table again, coming back to that concept um, and applying that it's helpful. Mm, I appreciate that. Yeah. I think, I think getting more perspective and learning the history is, is something that we can all do a better job of. Um, and I'm curious to know because your parents are still together, right? Yes. Uh, how long has it been? Over 20 years for sure. I'm not sure the exact <laughs> number, They'd probably be mad that I don't know that. That's yeah, that's amazing. My parents have been together, I think, like forty-three years now. It's crazy, wow. and dude. So I with with actually, it's like one of my best homies who tends to who, who's actually who's actually black, and we went to this middle school every Wednesday, um, sixth, seventh, and eighth graders in the inner city, and we had something called Boys Club, and basically. Mm -hmm. You know, we held space for these kids and created a space where we were able to talk about things that they didn't feel comfortable talking about in a normal environment, right? Whether that be about girls, whether that be about stuff that's going on at home. And I remember so distinctly, I think it was the second time I was there and I asked um, all the kids to raise their hand who still, you know, had both of their parents involved in their life. And it was literally like five out of 40. It was such a low percentage. And I'm curious to know, like, what do you think? Like, what can we do? And this isn't just, just with black people, Latinos, why, but like when you don't have uh, like that strong foundation or home life to really like to give you like what you had, right? What I have, like these core values and this safety and this security, you know, and so many kids are growing up without that. And I'm curious to know, like, what do you think is a possible step in the right direction to address that? 
Yeah, it's a great question. I really, I wish I had the answer to that. I feel like we could solve so many global and domestic issues if I had the answer to that. Um, but I, I think what you mentioned is very important. I think a lot of our values, um, how we operate in the world, a lot of it comes back to our home, how we were raised, the family structure that we had. Um, and I think if we educate ourselves on that, and we try to educate others through what we are learning. Um, I think that we can help to combat anyone who's having uh, a difficult upbringing or has a difficult home background, you know? Um, but I, I wish I had the answer to how to solve that. I, I really, um, I don't. Yeah, I appreciate your honesty. Uh, so, I know we've been wrapping here for about an hour and I want to honor your time, uh, but I do want to finish with a little rapid fire for you. Mm, okay. All right. Just to let you guys know, Max has no idea what's coming at him next. I like to, when you ask me to send over questions, you know, that's why I like connecting with people before. Usually the people I have on are people like I've already had relationships with. And nice. I feel like when you have that flow and you kind of just run with the present moment, you really have these moments of conversation that are so powerful and profound rather than like staying stuck to a script, which I know you're used to doing, uh, being an actor, right? A thousand percent. So let me ask you, Max, what is your favorite emoji? My favorite emoji is the laughing emoji. Okay, cool. Laughter is the best medicine, especially right now. Uh, who is your dream collaboration, another actor or actress that you would love to be beside? Ooh, that's a great question. I would love to do a project with Viola Davis. I'm always mesmerized by her performances. Mm. And then who would it be uh, if there's a male actor? Denzel. That's my guy. He's just like my inspiration. Every, every performance he does, I'm blown away and I feel like it's a masterclass on acting. Favorite, favorite Denzel movie? Training Day. Hey, let's go. <laughs> love it. Love it. Love it. All right. Um, so it's your last meal, Max. Ooh. It's your last meal. And you get to choose three people to have that last meal with. It can't be family. It can't be like close friends. Okay. All right. Who are those people? Well, that's a good question. Three people. And it can't be family or friends. Um. I think I'm definitely going to have to go with Barack Obama just because I need to get the insights from the first black president. I feel like that's just necessary. Do they have to be alive? These nope. three people? Oh, they don't have to be alive. Okay, good. Um, hmm, who else do I want to talk to? Honestly, I would bring Muhammad Ali. He's one of my biggest inspirations. I feel like his work ethic is what inspires me me to work harder every day. Um, and who else would I bring to the table? That's a good question. We, we might need some feminine energy there. I know I'm trying to, I'm really, I'm thinking, I'm like, who I might bring as a wild card. I might bring Diana Ross. Like, I feel like she is just like the consummate performer. Like my, growing up, she was my mom's favorite singer. So like she was always on the TV. Um, and she also really inspired my grandma. Um, so I feel like it'd be dope just to chop it up with her and just hear about her amazing life. Hey, okay. I, I love that. I love that. Um, now you are giving the commencement speech to next year's graduating class at Harvard. Mm -hmm. You have 30 seconds. All right. What is that message? that you are telling those kids? Mm. I would tell them, don't be afraid to chase your dreams. A lot of people who end up going to very prestigious colleges, institutions, feel a pressure to follow a certain path. And if they don't follow that certain path, they feel like they've failed or they've done something wrong. Um, and it's not true you've gotten this phenomenal education. Now use that to fuel your dream, whether that's something in sports, entertainment, finance, consulting, um, 
whatever gets you going, whatever makes you excited to wake up in the morning, pursue that. And if you fall flat on your face, fine, pivot it. Like everyone fails, but don't be afraid to do that. Because if you do, you might look back and wonder what if, or feel like you didn't tap into your potential. Um, and I feel like that's worse than taking a leap of faith and failing. You can always, you can always get up again, always. So chase your dreams. Hey, I love that. You went a little over 30 seconds, but we'll let it. Yeah, I wasn't looking at the clock. I was like, <laughs> just going. <laughs> I love it, brother. I love that. That's so powerful. And, you know, I want to acknowledge you, Max, for just at such a young age, having this confidence, having this conviction, having this humility to live your truth, to spread and share these powerful messages to the masses and doing it on your terms, you know, really, again, challenging the norm. Like you said, uh, you, you, you've never really fit in to this context or box, whatever that society expects. And you have really found a way to live your truth, live authentically to yourself and, and impact so many lives with your message, with that smile, with that radiance. So I just want to acknowledge you, brother, and thank you so much for taking the time. I know this show is going to impact so many people listening and watching. And um, where can people connect with you? Yeah, absolutely. You can connect with me on Instagram at MaxwellWC and on TikTok at Max and Facts. Um, and I look forward to connecting with each and every one of you. Appreciate that, brother. We're going to link all of Max's uh, social media pages in the show notes, make sure to check this dude out. I'm telling you, there's a reason he's almost at 700,000 followers in exactly a month. Like that is unheard of. This dude is shifting the paradigm. He's creating content that is changing people's perspective. And um, brother, I'm so grateful for you. And I can't wait. I can't wait to continue exchanging energy. Absolutely. Jeremy, thank you so much for having me on, man. I really appreciate it. And thank you for spreading your amazing message. It's really, it's changing the world. Appreciate you, homie. Please, please, please let me know what you thought. Let me know how I did. Let me know what was the biggest divine download that you had, because ultimately that allows me to be better. And not only that, when you teach something, when you share something, that means you're learning it twice. That means it's becoming a habit. That means it's becoming part of your DNA. So much love, fam. And as always, it would mean the world if you took that extra 13 to 24 seconds to leave a review in the iTunes store. It helps spread this message and reach more people. I got so much love for you, and I will see you back here for Monday's show. Peace out.